Throughout our lives, we generally don't realize that we are part of writing history. However, in this season, it seems more evident that we are part of writing that history. Because we're living in a season that is going to be written about in history books, or maybe more accurately, history websites and blogs for quite a while. And each of us have our own story to tell about how this season has brought about so many different moments that sort of made us feel like the hits just keep on coming. Uh, mostly because there doesn't seem to be a clear end in sight. And as much as we want this, there doesn't seem to be a magical moment when everything will change and suddenly get better. Uh, most of us are just hoping that at some point we'll sort of get to the other side and that is going to be better. The problem is that we don't know what better will look like, when better will happen, how better will happen, or if better will even happen. Because as difficult as life is right now, we have no promise that it's going to get better in 2022. However, we do have promises that we can hold on to as we're going to discuss shortly. So my hope in this series is that for all of us, that God would help us grow into or develop pandemic-proof faith, a faith that can make it through anything, a faith that is strong enough, strong enough to make it through whatever the next challenge is, over the hill, around the corner. And this is challenging, though, because our world is constantly changing. And this is particularly challenging because some of those changes have been significant historical shifts. And those shifts over time have moved us and continue to move us to a place where we depend on each other less. We are living more of our lives alone than previous generations have. And here are a few of these shifts. Now, these shifts won't be new to you, but they will help us make a simple point. The first one is the shift of transactions from resources to currency. Uh, not only is currency changing from tangible coins and dollars to online transactions with cards to now cryptocurrencies, but over the last 1,000 years, we have moved from land and resources as the primary commodity to money. That for much, much of history, land and natural resources, grain and animals and oils, were used to trade. Now, people built wealth through transactions of land and acquiring resources that sort of necessitated an interaction with people. And the shift in transactions to money and more recently to other transaction methods means it is unlikely you will ever interact with many of the people you're buying things from. That you don't have to interact with each other as we exchange money. And then there's the sort of the shift of work going from sort of humans to machines. Now, human strength was how work got done until the Industrial Revolution came along with the steam engine and so many other machines, decreasing and replacing human labor. And this has brought about many drastic changes and became a catalyst for many other changes in history and in our society, including now being able to work on our machines from home, again, without having to interact with anyone else. And then there's sort of the shift that possibly has changed our society the most, or maybe the most out of any of them, the shift of knowledge from wisdom to data, that we sort of move from wisdom to data, that throughout history, wisdom was sort of passed down to us from previous generations. Or because we studied something in school, or we took a class, or we read it from books, and now through technology, data is being processed, created, and transferred at such radical speeds that it's hard, actually it's impossible to keep up with. If you've been around kids lately, you've seen the impact of this. That in some senses, kids don't depend on adults. Kids don't have to learn something in a classroom. Kids don't have to read the world book encyclopedia that many of us had in our homes. Kids don't have to read or study using those methods because all of the information and all the data that they could want is right at their fingertips. And while these shifts have brought about unprecedented advances for almost all of us, whether that's increased life expectancy or more access to opportunities, 
There is a cost for all this. And what is that cost? If we aren't careful, one of the costs is community and relationships. Uh, these shifts can lead to significant movement away from relationship, away from community, and away from interaction. And as a society, we have moved away from needing or depending on others to sort of not even having to interact with each other. Transactions are less personal. Machines don't have feelings. Anything you want to know is a Google search away. And we're moving toward a time when I don't have to depend on you. I don't have to interact with you and I don't have to know you. And you don't have to depend on me or interact with me or know me. And this has created another epidemic in our world. Loneliness. And loneliness is one of the greatest challenges of our day. And this is so difficult to figure out and understand because you can be around people all day and be lonely. Or you can live alone and not be lonely. You can have all the social media friends in the world and still feel isolated. And the health challenges that come with loneliness are quite significant. Now, health officials have tried to sort of compare loneliness to as damaging to our general health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But before we go any further, or maybe you already see where this is going and what we're going to talk about today, the answer is not just that we need more friends. The answer is not as simple as more relationships in our lives. And as we said in this series, God will make something good out of suffering. That God uses our tragedy and trial and hard times to do something significant in us. And many times it's sort of to loosen our grip on things that were never meant to satisfy us. Uh, money and technology doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Uh, health and relationships aren't bad. But through this season, we have learned in various ways that putting our hope in things isn't fulfilling. They don't give us what we really want or what we're really searching for. And many times God uses people to help us know or to sort of remind us what and who we should secure our lives to. And without those people in our lives, these seasons can be even more challenging. And when the hits won't stop, healthy community is essential. That community and relationships that sort of help us secure our feet to our faith that can make it through anything. Community that reminds us of what is most important in this life and in the next life. And in the series, we've been looking at one narrative. Uh, so far, just an afternoon and an evening in that narrative. And today we're going to move into the morning. And this narrative involves Paul, who was a pioneer of starting churches in the first century. And on this day in Paul's life, he is with a colleague named Silas, and a young girl is following them and their group, and this girl has a spirit in her that gives her the ability to predict the future. And she's following them, constantly yelling, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. And she does this constantly for days, and so they're getting frustrated from hearing the same thing over and over. And also maybe because the attention that she's sort of bringing to them. So Paul eventually said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Now this girl experiences freedom from that spirit, but the men who were making a lot of money from her gift were not too happy about this. And so they had Paul and Silas beaten and arrested. And yet at midnight that same day, Paul and Silas were found in a prison dungeon singing and praying to God. And just like Paul and Silas were literally secured into that dungeon, faith is best secured to actual promises, not possible outcomes. It's not secured to the possibility that things will get better, but secured to actual promises. And two of those promises that Paul and Silas demonstrate for us in this instance, number one, God is with us, especially in suffering. And then number two, God will make something good out of suffering. 
And as if being beaten and thrown into prison wasn't bad enough for Paul and Silas, then an earthquake shakes the foundations of the prison. And the earthquake allowed the doors of the prison to sort of open wide, and, and everybody's chains fell off. And Paul and Silas have an amazing interaction with the jailer who realizes that because of circumstances that are way out of his control, that he would be in big trouble because the prisoners were now free. And so he starts to kill himself. But Paul, and, Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. That they show grace and mercy in a powerful and a beautiful way that reminds us that, God, that grace is God working even when we don't see him. God is doing something right in the middle of our suffering, even when we can't see him. And it wasn't just the jailer that experienced that grace, but the jailer's family also experienced that same grace. Sort of a ripple effect of the grace that Paul and Silas had received years, many years before. And now they were giving that same grace to more than just the jailer, but to his whole household. We're going to continue reading in Acts chapter 16. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and then you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So now, verse 35, the next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. Uh, basically, what was already done, being beaten and imprisoned, that was enough, and so they can go. And plus, after the earthquake, maybe these officials were thinking about sort of putting the jail back together first before they had prisoners. Verse 36, so the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But as we're going to see, that wasn't good enough for Paul. Uh, Paul was frustrated and upset, and he knew that what they did to them was wrong. That Paul and Silas weren't given a fair trial, and they were Roman citizens. So things should have been handled differently. Verse 37, but Paul replied, They have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly. And this is the sort of the, I'd like to speak to the manager moment. And if this was happening right now with iPhones, uh, this would also be the moment where everyone started recording or going live on social media. And if I'd have been there with Paul and Silas, I might have suggested a different route than what they're going to do. And even though they were wronged, I might have said to them, Paul and Silas, uh, this might not be the best time for that. Uh, you have already been through a lot of drama, so let's just end this quietly and leave. But Paul says, certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. And this is probably coming with some attitude along with that, right? And boldness is one way to describe that. Um, and have you ever had a moment or a season where it really required some boldness? Have you ever had to come up with some sort of courage for a situation ahead of you? Uh, maybe for a conversation that you didn't want to have or that was going to include the possibility of conflict. Those situations usually take a lot out of us emotionally, right? And I wonder if that is the place that Paul is in right now. That on top of everything else that they've gone through, being beaten, arrested, an earthquake, led the jailer to Jesus, celebrated with his family, and also baptized his whole family, they have to be exhausted. They also seem to be a little sassy, but also probably exhausted. Verse 38, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Now that could easily be read as, that's it. This narrative has sort of gone from good to tragic to really tragic to miraculous to now Paul and Silas are getting what they wanted. But what do you think they were feeling in this moment? What do you think they needed in this moment? Uh, likely they still had physical pain from the beating they received the day before and possibly from the earthquake that morning. Uh, and I also don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that their faith was at least a little bit shaken by the earthquake as well. 
they might have needed some encouragement. And so what would they do in this moment? Well, they go to a group of people where they could receive all of that. Verse 40, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. And earlier in this chapter, we learn about Lydia's transformation. Uh, Lydia is a seller of purple cloth, an exotic color, and a sign of wealth in those days. And she was a purple dealer, so it's likely that she was wealthy. Lydia knew hospitality and likely had a nice home. And through Paul's teaching, she accepted Jesus' death on the cross, paying for her sin, and his resurrection giving her life. And so not only did she know hospitality, but she also likely had that, that early zeal of being a new follower of Jesus. Uh, do you remember that early zeal? Uh, maybe some of you have that now. Maybe some of you can just sort of remember that season of your life where you were just so excited about your newfound faith. And that's where Lydia was. But Lydia wasn't alone. There was a crew gathered at her house. Continuing on, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Now, other translations say brothers and sisters instead of other believers, which really doesn't mean relatives. This was sort of the cliche spiritual brothers and sisters, meaning people who have been through life together, sort of saying we've experienced some of the same significant things together, the highest of highs and maybe the lowest of lows. And there's sort of a bond that connects people who experience those things together. And it can be similar and deeper than family relatives. And there was a common faith that also connected these believers as well. And Paul and Silas went to, the Lydia, went to Lydia's house to meet with the people who were part of their faith community, sort of taking care of wounds and having meals together, encouraging each other. And I also assume that Paul and Silas were encouraged as well. And then the chapter ends with, then they left town. Now, Paul and Silas were chosen for an important mission, and probably because of how they are wired, they would sort of just keep going towards that mission after meeting with this community. And while it's hard to know from this one verse alone how important this interaction with this community really was after the difficult time that they had experienced, while that's difficult to know from this one verse, it's also important to look at the other accounts where Paul mentioned the importance of these people, uh, some of them from this very story. And in Paul's life, he actually wrote a chapter at the end of one of his most important and most well-known letters to the Jesus followers throughout the city of Rome. And in that letter, it's sort of a weighty and theological essay that was written by Paul. And after writing about who Jesus is and, and how our sin is impacting us and understanding the new life that Jesus has given us, Paul spends most of an entire chapter at the end putting names to some of the brothers and sisters who are part of his community. So I would like to read part of Romans 16 because Paul gives us 29 names, 29 hard names for me to pronounce, as you'll see, but also some descriptions of the people who were in his community. These are the people who helped him, the, the people who he helped, the people who together with Paul did significant things for their communities. 29 of these brothers and sisters in Paul's community. Starting verse 1, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of, God, of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who are in prison with me. 
They were highly ex- they are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend and the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, a good man whom Christ approves. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persisus, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asynchronous, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philogius, Julia, Nerus and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. That these were Paul's people that he could sort of depend on. That they provided for him when he was in his greatest moments of need. That these people are the people who he cared for. And when the hits just kept on coming, these were the people that were on Paul's mind. And in fact, as he was writing this letter, he was in a very challenging situation to say the least. Uh, we know this because of what he wrote in other places, but also what he wrote in Romans and what was going on in this stage of his life right before he would be executed. That these were the people he was thinking of. Uh, so I recommend you do what Paul did in Romans 16. Would you, number one, list the people who keep you connected? These aren't necessarily the people who sort of live with you the longest, or they might not be the people that you went to college with or the people that you work with. These are the people who ground you and keep you connected to God and to others. These are the people who help secure you to pandemic-proof faith. These are the people who help you mourn the things that you've been taken from your hands. These are the people who help you know what to put back in your hand and hold on to. So would you make that list of people? Now, some of you might be thinking like, yeah, yeah, I have a list in my mind. No, would you actually write or type out the names for the list? That there's something powerful about actually writing down the names. Uh, you don't have to get to 29 names, but would you make a list of the people who keep you connected? And then number two, tell them. Now this may seem a little odd, uh, maybe say it to them on a video call or a phone call or as last resort, text it to them. But would you say to them, I just want you to know that I was making a list of the people that I know I can lean on, uh, knowing they're going to be there for me when, I, when the hits just keep on coming, and you are one of those people. And you might say, well, why should you tell them that? Well, first, you might need to or want to thank them for having been that for you in the past. And secondly, it provides a certain amount of accountability that, that I'm going to need you in the future, and I want to be there for you as well, which is number three. Make yourself available to them. That I know life is busy, and this isn't urgent, but it is important. And if someone were to ask you, do you have those people? You might say, yeah, I have made the list, and yeah, I've told them. But have you made yourself available to them? And I imagine for a lot of us, we tell ourselves we're just too busy. And I don't know what that would look like for you to sort of make yourself available to them. Uh, maybe it means setting up something on a regular basis. Maybe it means some, sort, some form of communication about what is happening in your lives. Maybe it means some sense of vulnerability between you. Would you write down the names? Would you tell them about it? And would you make yourself available to them? that I need you and I want to be there for you as well. And to those of you who, who might not know where to start, you might say, I don't have that kind of community in my life. I don't have those kind of relationships going on right now. 
I want to point out a statement that we want to be true about our church, but really I think every church should want to be. The church is relationships with that kind of community. And the beauty of the church is that there will always be a community waiting for you. And there are people who need you. Uh, people who need to hear your story. People who, who need to know what you have been through. People who need to know how you've handled those things. And in the same way, you need those people as well. And this is God's plan to keep us connected. Uh, sure, there are other ways, but His plan A is the church. And for some of you, that's hard for me to say because someone in the church has let you down or maybe they sort of were the reason that you put down your faith. And I would beg you to give the church another chance. And I don't mean give the building another shot. I mean, would you give the church, the community of people, another opportunity? Because when the hits don't stop and it just feels never ending, having a community of people in your life who keeps you connected is so essential. And that's what the church aims to be. And it's what I hope for you. And it's what I hope for me as well. And while the shifts in happening are happening all around in culture, they're not necessarily bad. The current associated with those shifts is toward loneliness and away from community. However, community is essential, has to be intentional, and will be inconvenient. Now, hopefully I don't need to spend much time on the essential part of that, but the intentional part of that is something that I think we all know, but we don't do the things that are intentional. And I would suggest doing what I recommended before would be a step towards intentionality. Inconvenient is not to say that your relationships need to be inconvenient all the time, but it will be inconvenient at times. And it will seem even more inconvenient when you don't think you need those relationships or that community. And community is sort of like a preventative maintenance in a car, that when your car is running fine, but you need to do some preventative maintenance, like you need to schedule that oil change, you sort of question if you really need to do that preventative maintenance. Because after all, the car is running fine, in that moment. And while building community is inconvenient at times, it is not as inconvenient as not having it when you actually need community. That God made all of us for community and we wanna help you get connected to a community that will be present for you and who needs you to be present for them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much of all the examples in the scriptures of you wanting to build community and you encouraging people to build community. God, would you help us in our lives right now with all the shifts in the culture around us that really aren't even necessarily new, but are shifts in some ways away from culture, away from community, I should say. And they're away from relationships and towards loneliness. And some of us are just going so fast towards that. We're going towards loneliness and away from community. Would you help us to pump the brakes a little bit? Would you help us to see steps we can take to find community and to be intentional about it, even if it's inconvenient? For others of us, maybe we already know the, the, the value of community. We know how important it is. Would you help us to remember that and not forget it? Even in those seasons where we're not sure that we really need it and things are going along fine, would you help us to continue to value it and prioritize it in our lives? And God, for those people who are really, really struggling right now and they don't have a community around them, they don't have people that keep them connected to faith, connected to you and connected to other people, would you help them to take a step today? Would you, would you allow our church, a church, to come and help them and help get them to provide an opportunity for them to connect in the community? God, thank you that you don't want us to live this life alone. You did not create us to live this life alone. That you knew we needed community and you've made us to need community. So God, would you help us to be that for other people? And would you help us to find that in other people as well? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.